welcome to another episode of the Tai Chi Notebook Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Barlow, and this is the place where I get to interview the people I find most interesting in the world of martial arts. This is a very special episode for me because I'm interviewing my own jiu-jitsu teacher, Professor Salvatore Pace. Salvatore, or Salvo for short, grew up in Sicily and was always interested in martial arts as a young boy, practising everything he could get his hands on, from boxing and kung fu to wrestling, and then MMA in the emerging combat sports scene in the UK, but it was his first encounter with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and his main teacher, Carlos Lemos Jr., that changed his life forever and put him on a plane to Brazil and then to the USA, where he trained with some of the biggest names in the sport. Returning to the UK, Salva had a dream of teaching Jiu-Jitsu for a living and set up Gracie Baja Bath, back when most people hadn't even heard of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that's where our paths crossed. I first met Salva way back in 2011, and I've been with him ever since, getting all my belts from white to black from his hands. And it's been a pleasure to watch his students and his academy grow and develop and expand to new locations around the southwest, and even to other countries. Jiu-Jitsu has certainly evolved a lot since those early days, but we can let Salvo tell that story, so here he is. So... Hello, Salvo. Salvatore Pache. Is that correctly pronounced? It is, it is. You know, I, over the years, I've just got used to everybody calling me Salvatore Pace. But yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, it sounds terrible, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, it's uh, Salvatore Pace. Yes. There you go. That's, that sounds better. That's the one. Yeah. So how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, everything's looking good, you know, working hard and uh, building uh, future projects, you know. So just to let the people know that... Um, you're my jiu-jitsu teacher, my professor. Yes, you've been with us for a while now, hey? Yeah, I'm, I was looking back, I think it was 2011, I first walked through your doors <laughs> wow. as somebody who didn't know jiu-jitsu. And I instantly, instantly fell in love with it. I, remember, I still remember the first class I went to, wearing a gi, for the first time. You know, putting a gi on and going, what the, this is all so weird. Well, 11 years ago, and you know, as uh, you are a martial artist within your own right, you know, apart from jiu-jitsu. So I think that uh, when you ha- have an idea of what to what martial arts is supposed to be, mm. and then you get somewhere and it feels very different, I think that can be a little bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. You know? So then that's that becomes a choice. You either embrace or turn away. In your case, you know, you, you completely embraced uh, Gracie Bath Bath and the way that we do jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, you were the, one of the fastest black belts I've ever given to anyone. <laughs> well, but I, I think that's testament to the fact that you were already a martial artist and knew how to learn martial arts, if you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the thing that all my previous training gave me the most, was the, you know, just the idea of how you learn. Because that's hard for people, I think, when they, when they first start jiu-jitsu. It's, uh, it's such intangible, it, it seems such a huge subject that you don't know where to start, but I was always aware that you just need to, it's like any problem, you need to break it down into little bits. What do I need to work on this, this and this? Okay, well I'll go and work on this, this and this, and then just take it from there, rather than being overwhelmed by the, the amount of, of information that you can find in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, I mean, because there's different types of jiu-jitsu, aren't there? There's, Absolutely. There's like jiu-jitsu for self-defense, there's jiu-jitsu for, for kids who are bullying, 
there's jiu-jitsu for competition. And the, and the, thing, the thing with Gracie Baha is it, it embraces all of it, doesn't it? We don't leave anything out. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one, actually. Yeah, we, we try not to leave anything out. Our, we have a curriculum system which was uh, designed by, you know, several of the world's leading black belts within Gracie Baja and Master Carlos, of course. And uh, the curriculums are barely guidelines, right? Mm. But what the curriculums do is that it puts us on track to work self-defense, to work basics of jiu-jitsu, to then go on to work in, in your other classes, you know, the GB2s and 3s, the more advanced system of jiu-jitsu, which is mainly based towards competition. Now, that competition is something that branches out in several, in several routes. You know, you have your Brazilian jiu-jitsu with gi, which is a, a part of a game that I absolutely love. You also have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with Nogi, which I also absolutely love. I'm a two-time European champion in that. Mm. But we also then have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for MMA. Now, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for MMA is quite different to your basic Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with Gi. Mm. And somewhat different to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for Nogi. Mm. You know, because you, you cannot afford to expose yourself because you're going to get hit and as you get hit your, your belt level keeps going down down and down and down <laughs> yeah yeah that's right so they used to say that if you if you punch a black belt in the face they become a brown belt you punch them again they become a purple belt. right it's you know it, you know those things matter yeah um, mma is something i've never really um delved into but you did a bit of mma didn't you? i did i did in the very beginning in the infancy of mma in europe really you know to be fair, this is what actually got me into jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You know, because prior to that, I had wrestled, I had Thai boxed, I boxed, and the evolution was inevitable. Mm. As a martial artist, as any martial artist, any real martial artist would perceive that route to, to evolve and try and become complete, so to speak, you know, try and be equal standing than you are on the ground. But then we... we we had these uh, revelations by the Gracies in the early 90s. And quite frankly, if anybody was any type of serious martial artist, not to follow that, that path where things evolved so much would have been insane. Mm. You know, we, we'd be extinct. We'd be like dinosaurs almost. And I know that... <laughs> You know, there, there's Thai boxing out there by, in its own right. And I love Thai boxing and I love boxing and I love wrestling. Mm. But I just would not have felt good had I not done the parts that I needed to do to feel complete. So therefore, you know, I went on to have a few amateur bouts and it was, it was fun. But I quickly realized that it was too painful for it to be fun for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and that there was, you know, quite frankly... I wanted to be involved in martial arts thoroughly. Mm. And to be involved thoroughly, it meant I had to give my all. And give my all I did. But there was no money in MMA, just no. like there is no money today in MMA, no. unless you're that, not even that 1%, mm. you know? So I, I went a different route. You've got to be very, very lucky or exceptional to make serious money in MMA these days without a doubt without a doubt but you know even really good guys even guys who end up in the UFC 
you know, I've over the years I've been lucky enough to have trained several top MMA guys in the UK, hmm. and uh, I've had students in the UFC, and you know, those guys are not doing well financially. No, you know, and that's really sad. That's really sad. If you consider what they're giving as well to the to the sport, you know, it, it takes a huge toll on your body. And it just doesn't seem like the financial reward is worth it to me. Neither to me, Graham. Because, I mean, look, each time you step in the cage, you may never be the same again. Mm. That's the honest truth. You know, something... And, I mean, look, accidents are inevitable in every walk of life at some point. But uh, MMA is obviously a, a higher risk of accidents happening. And concussions and serious brain damage and, and yeah. physical damage. And these are lasting effects that will, will not only affect you, but they'll affect the future. They'll affect your children, your wife, your families. Mm. You know? And quite frankly, this is when I realized that it, it was not something that I could sustain for a very long time. And with jiu-jitsu, you've got the longevity there, haven't you? In a way, you can almost keep going forever, can't you? Uh. You really can. You really can. Because, you know, I... Um, I'm very lucky, you know, I have very strong connections to a lot of people around the world and within the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the Gracie family itself. But I heard stories of Master Helio training up to the week before he passed, mm. you know, and Master Helio was well into his 90s when he passed, mm. you know, and he would train with people and the only thing he would ask of them was not to put physical weight on him, so to speak. Yeah. And that's understandable from a gentleman in his 90s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, he was able to train right until the end. And again, uh, what is jiu-jitsu to each individual? What is it? Is it just a place where we turn up and smash each other on the mat and try and pull each other's heads and arms off? No, <laughs> not for me anymore. For me, at this stage of my life, you know, I, I want to roll, I want to have fun, I want to enjoy the technical, uh, the technical language that jiu-jitsu is. Exchange. The exchange. It's like mm. a language, isn't it? Mm. It's a language that, you know, whoever does jiu-jitsu and understands jiu-jitsu speaks. Yeah. You know? And that, that's what I want. And I want to, to help uh, jiu-jitsu to grow more and more all over the world, not just all over the country. And that's what I think a lot of times is what keeps people going is teaching other people. It's, it's passing that knowledge on. I get a real kick out of teaching somebody to do something and them getting it. You know, when they can do it to me, right. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that kind of makes it all worthwhile for me. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's interesting because, you know, I, I've been teaching Jiu-Jitsu for many years now, 20 years. And uh, one, of the things that, uh, one of the things that keeps many evolving, I used to compete a lot. And when I used to compete a lot, of course, you quickly find out what works and what doesn't. Mm. However, you know, I'm 48 years old now. I haven't competed, I'd say, for about six years. Mm. And I have absolutely no regrets because guess what? My jiu-jitsu is better than ever. I train regularly every day and I'm, I'm evolving every day. I have so many amazing students here at the school, you know, like mm. yourself. Many black belts here who keep me on my toes all the time, you know. <laughs> But uh, what, what it keeps the evolution going, even for myself, 
who I haven't competed for a few years, is the fact that every time that I teach, I don't hold anything back. So anything that I'm doing that works against you, I want to teach you because I want you to be able to block it. Mm. So therefore, I'm forced to evolve again. Yeah, exactly. And that evolution just keeps going and going and going, you know. Yeah, which is very unlike some of the martial arts where, you know, where, where things were, were kept secret almost because you don't want the students to be able to do this too because then, right. then, then they'll beat me. Right. You know? Whereas in jiu-jitsu, it's almost like you want your students to beat you so that you, you get forced to... Get better. I mean, I've, I've watched, because I'm, you know, 11 years I've been training right. under you. I've watched your jiu-jitsu game evolve in, in answer to, like, injuries, for example. Like, you injured your fingers in a competition once, I remember mm. this. Yeah. And out of that, because you used to have this really killer cross-collar choke. You remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. used to catch everyone with this. And it was, it was an absolute killer. You know, when it was on, it was on. And then I think you hurt your fingers in a competition and you had to stop doing it for a bit and then you evolved into this guillotine right this sort of the, the like the, the um the sort of chin strap chin yeah strap. the chin strap guillotine which was again an absolute killer <laughs> yeah yeah so just to clarify what actually happened there was that um it was the second year that naga had come to europe mm. so they first came in 2010 and in 2010 i won that i won naga as a black belt uh, and that was great. I felt amazing. And then Naga Europe, European Championships of Naga in Paris at the time. So then the following year, I went back. I wanted to go back. So again, I trained real hard and, you know, I was in great shape. And the night before I was due to fly, I broke my finger on my right hand. Ah. That's exactly what happened. So... I thought, okay, well, maybe I can strap it up. Maybe I can, uh, you know, get out there and do it anyway. So I, that's exactly what I tried. I got on the plane to fly to Paris. But as I got on the plane, my hand completely ballooned out of shape because of, you know, with the altitude. Yeah, yeah. My hand completely ballooned. My finger was completely useless. So I, I couldn't compete. So then returning back to the UK, you know, I had students with me who competed anyway. Returning back to the UK... A uh, couple of weeks have passed and I wanted to train. But of course, I couldn't grab the gear and I couldn't really do much with my hand. Mm -hmm. So this whole guillotine system started to, was the birth of that, you know, mm. started to evolve. And I began to have a lot of success with it. A lot of success, ended up teaching many seminars around the world. Of One of them was actually uh, in Iowa, in a mixed martial arts camp, very famous mixed martial arts camp, the Militich Fighting Systems Camp, mm. you know, together with uh, Robbie Lawler and uh, Spencer Fisher and, uh, you know, such big names like this. Mm. Cool. And then, even later on in your game, you started developing this lapel guard. That was another thing that, uh, that appeared in your game, and it, that became a real fixture. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the guillotine... Uh, remains something which is very much alive within my game, whether it's gi or no gi. But uh, as the game started to evolve with the gi as well, what I found that over the years, man, I got short legs, right? Hmm. Keeping a closed guard for wow. me is almost impossible. <laughs> I'm the same. You know, yeah, it's almost impossible. 
So what I found was that everybody was able, not everybody was able, but it was much easier to create distance on me. Mm. So, you know, the, the principles of passing guard, as far as I'm concerned, is either all the way in or all the way out. Mm. You don't pass guard in the middle ground. The middle ground belongs to the guard player. Mm. So what I did was I kind of evolved a, a, a little system where I could consistently keep the person in the middle ground. Mm. Mm. So I could continuously play my open guard, which quite frankly, I think it's fairly strong. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because, you know, that's <laughs> know. all I've ever done is open guard. Yeah. I've never had the luxury of doing close guard. Yeah. So, you know, having trained with such greats as uh, Carlos Lemos Jr. and uh, Nino Skembri, who is perhaps one of the most uh, open guard uh, Innovative. gods yeah. <laughs> of the history of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I must ask you about him. Yeah, I think a little bit of that rubbed off. So... Again, due to bad fingers of doing spider guard, mm. I switched from doing spider guard to using one lapel and one spider. It's a lot less harmful to your fingers, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, holding lapel. I've noticed that as well. Definitely. Are you yeah. doing that too? Well, I occasionally grab the lapel, and it's just in, I notice it in comparison to normally grabbing a collar, that, oh, I could, this doesn't hurt at all. I could, I could hold this for ages. Mm. I still haven't really delved into lapel stuff myself. Yeah. Um, there's just something about it that doesn't... You know, things appeal to you. There's just something about it in Spider Guard that I'm still digging at, that I want to get mm -hmm. out of it before I stop doing it and yeah. do lapel guard instead. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, this whole half lapel, half spider thing was um, initially inspired in 2009 by the late great Leandro Lowe. Mm. You know, I watched Leandro Lowe, he had some amazing things going on, and I kind of, you know, took in some information and kept it in the back of, the, of my mind. As the years went past, I was fortunate, I am fortunate enough to have been teaching uh, every year for the last five, six years, a winter camp in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. And one of my uh, co-teachers there mm. is Professor Romulo Bajau. Mm. Now, Professor Romulo Bajau has one of the most incredible spider... Well, I think the most incredible yeah. spider yeah. guard I've ever seen. It's world for it, isn't it? Yeah. The most incredible spider guard that I've ever seen. So spending a little time with Professor Romulo, picking up a lot of his tricks and integrating those tricks to my game, you know, and I'm, I'm just fortunate. I'm just fortunate to spend time with Draculino, Romulo Bajau, Carlos Lemos, mm. Marcos Bajos. You know, how do you not learn? Yeah, exactly. How do you not learn? And we've got Draculino coming over, Professor Draculino, um, this month, I believe. Yes, that's correct. Professor Draculino, actually, today's the 31st, technically next oh, month. next month, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Professor Draculino is coming to the Southwest UK on the 7th of November. Man, for anybody to miss his seminar would be insane because Professor Draco is one of the most well-renowned Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu teachers in the world. Whether, you know, whether it's Gracie Baja or not, his students have always been the very top of the top and uh, of the which one of them is Romulo Bajau, Felipe Peña, mm. and many, many, many others. Yeah, right at the top of the game, aren't they? Right at the top, yeah. right at the pinnacle of the I think it, just, it shows what a great teacher he is, um, that he's produced so many of these world champions. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I love Draco because um, he's, uh, he's very much like myself. He's straight to the point. Hmm. You know, he's, uh, I don't know how to put this, but he's like, he'll get straight to the point. It doesn't matter. Uh, he'll get straight to the point and make sure that you receive the information that he wants you to receive. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I love that about him. I love his character. I love his personality. I love his his uh, his traits as a man. Yeah. And because uh, I, I met him when he came to Grace Baha Bath, was it a couple of, was it before the pandemic? It was before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I met him back yeah. then. Um, and I was quite surprised that he's not, he's not a, a huge person, is no. he? He's actually, for someone who's produced so many world champions, he's yeah. not massively tall or anything, is he? He's, quite, he's sort of normal-sized. He's a normal-sized <laughs> dude. Well, Professor Draco himself is an, was an exceptional competitor for many years. Uh, you know, Professor Draco had the inenviable task of having to go up against Hoyler Gracie all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the finals of his Mundials. And Hoyler Gracie is uh, one of the, the best that, who's ever done it. You know, he was a four-time world champion. And Professor Draco and he would often clash mm. on their way to, to these titles. So, uh, you know, this is a testament to, to the level of jiu-jitsu that he possesses. Not to mention that, you know, he, he's been, uh, he's one of our main generals of Gracie Baja. Mm. You know, having Professor Draco visit us here is, a, is an absolute honor and a pleasure. Because he chooses where he goes. He doesn't just yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, he chooses where he goes. He could go in every school he wanted to, if he wanted to, really. Mm. You know, people will, will queue at the door for him. Mm. But he chooses really well where to go. And, you know, we have this great relationship. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of that. So you're hosting him at your new school, which is Gracie Baja West Wilts. That's correct, yeah. I mean, we've hosted him at Gracie Baja Bath. And to be really honest with you, if I hosted them at Gracie Bar Bath, I think the seminar would probably be even more sold out than what it already is. Yeah. But uh, we need to bring something to the area of Wiltshire, mm. something special. So I feel like it is my duty as the regional collaborator for Gracie Baja to bring Wiltshire the highest level of jiu-jitsu that we possibly can. And, you know, the, the new Gracie Baja West Wilts Academy out there it's a beautiful premium facility. It's big, isn't it? Big school. Yeah. You know, we can fit like 130, 140 people training, mm. you know. And um, we have six black belts who teach there every day. You know, every single class is taught by a black belt. Mm. Even the MMA and the Muay Thai are taught by Professor Harvey, who is not only a black belt, but, you know, he's had 17 pro fights in mixed martial arts. Oh, he's, an, he's an OG. Huh? He's an OG. <laughs> he's, he's one of my first. So when, when, I, when I joined, he was, he was there already. Um, like one of the original students. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's not many of the original crew left when I Well, when to I be honest with you, Graham, there is. There really is. Well, the, I was going to say, there are a few. There's, so there's... let me give you numbers. Okay, go on. Right? My very first class of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Bath, when I opened Gracie Baja had six people in it. Mm. One was Professor Jason. One was Professor Rich. Yeah. One was Professor Harvey. Yeah. One was Professor Lex. Wow. Right? So we still have four of those guys. Yeah. Oh, no, Black Frank, Lex. yeah. Frank Bohek, one of my great students, a uh, French-Portuguese guy, ended up moving to Qatar and becoming a boxing coach. 
and there is another guy called Bob, which I never saw again. <laughs> but, you know... There's always a Bob. Yeah, there's always a Bob. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, that, that, so that first class... First class. Out of, out of six people there... Four are black belts. Four are now black belts. And Correct. still at the school. And still at the school. Yeah. That's amazing. Still at the school. See, I came along a little bit later. A little later, yeah. But I, though all those guys were there. Even um, the, the French-Portuguese... Frank. Frank. I think I remember him. Did he have tattoos? Uh, no, Frank didn't have tattoos. Oh, Frank I think it's was, someone else. Frank was a really nice guy. Great, great kickboxer, you know. He, he was my student in Thai boxing right. for years. Okay. And what happened was that I, I was living in the UK, then I moved away for a while. And when I moved away for a while, I left my Thai boxing school in Frank's hands. Right, yeah. Does that make sense? So yeah, when yeah. I came back, it immediately made sense that those guys all just came back to, to, to the mother house, so to speak. You know, I bet it's not many coaches that could say that from their first class for those guys in their black belts. That's Man, amazing. It's, yeah, it's insane. But look, I, I believe strongly in um, doing things for the right reasons, doing things with the proper values, doing things with your heart as well as your mind. You know, I, I love what I do. I've always loved what I've done. And I did it when there was no money for anybody to be seen mm. or made, mm. right? So... Because you were, at the, like, you were at the, almost at the start of jiu-jitsu in Britain, weren't you? Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, this was... I mean, most people had never heard of it. Most people had never <laughs> heard of it. Let me tell you a story. I had a school in Italy before I had school in Bath, mm. right? And bear in mind that it was even... Sicily, the south of Italy, is even way more behind than the UK is today. So... Picture this, in 2004, I opened Gracie Baja, Sicily. Mm. People were coming up to me and asking me what I had made up. Because <laughs> they'd, they'd never heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> never heard of it. And, you know, rightly so. The first UFC was 11 years young, mm. right? So unless you were an avid uh, martial artist, I think probably this information didn't just fall on your lap. No, no. You know, and uh, there was no internet then, I suppose. No, oh, or maybe there was. Well, no, I think there was internet. The beginning, it was the beginning of Google. Yeah, yeah. There was no YouTube. Yeah. There was no YouTube, I remember. Oh, yeah. I think there have been. I think there was internet, wasn't there? But like the way we think of it today, it wasn't the same, was it? Yeah, there was no smartphones. There was nothing like this. Yeah. You know, so nowadays you 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 think about something, somebody talks to you about something else, and you just Google it immediately. You know, or you search for it some on some platform. Yeah, because smartphones didn't happen until two thousand and seven. Yeah, that's correct. So, yeah. So there was internet, but it wasn't in your pocket, was it? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, and it was a very different type of internet, wasn't it? You kind of went home, and it just yeah it took a while to load and all of that stuff. You know, but yeah, that that's uh, crazy facts, right? Of uh, of. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu around the world. Didn't some karate school come to check you out in Sicily? It was a Kung Fu school. Was it? Yeah, karate schools came too. And it was, uh, it was like the Wild West. And I, I was speaking to Carlos all the time. And Carlos was like, man, what's going on out there? You know, <laughs> Salvo losing his mind. <laughs> so uh, one particular day, Carlos was actually at Gracie Baja in Sicily at the time. Mm -hmm. And this is 2005, perhaps. And uh, a guy, a judoka guy, comes from Germany, comes to our town and says, I, 
I heard you guys do this, this and that. My son is a, is a champion. He'll go through all of you right now. <laughs> we were like, okay. <laughs> so he wanted to go with me. And although I'm physically a little bigger than Carlos, I definitely wasn't the more dangerous one of the two. No. no. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so to put him with Carlos would have been even worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what we decided, because we, we actually had two boys visit him from Birmingham. Mm. And at the time, I mean, this is how crazy jiu-jitsu still was at the time. These two guys from Birmingham had paid me a substantial amount of money to come and train in Sicily in my school for 10 days. Right. So these guys were over there and they're training jiu-jitsu with me every day. Now this judoka turns up and... One of these guys is 18 or 19, and the other one is like 15, I think. So we decide to put him with the 15-year-old. The 15-year-old kid, his name was Is Assad. He was a yellow belt at that time. Mm. And this judoka black belt supposedly is supposed to show us all how it's done. So... We put Assad forward. We said, no, I think it's best you go with Assad first. We can see what's going on. And we knew that Assad was also quite talented. So, you know, he wasn't your average 15-year-old. So the guy comes in, goes to take Assad down. Assad pulls guard, poof, triangle, 30 seconds, gone. <laughs> right? So the guy goes, oh, no, 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 I wasn't ready. You know, the old classic, I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't ready. ready. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? The old classic, I wasn't ready. Yeah. So then he comes back in and goes again. Bulls guard, boom, armbar, 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah. Man, the guy left devastated. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's father was humiliated and the kid was devastated. Oh. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. But we had several of these cases, you know. I'll tell you about another time in the UK. And this was a real fun time. Because, and this was roundabout when you started, actually. Right. So Carlos is in my house in the UK. Mm. And my phone rings. And my phone rings, and I'm, I'm picking up, and I'm um, listening to this guy who claims to be a Russian Sambo world champion, and that he wants to have a challenge match. Yeah. I don't know if you remember Because it was still this. a bit, like when I joined Jiu Jitsu, it was still a bit of a wild time. Yeah, yeah, we, we got a couple, remember, yeah. from Greece and stuff like that. Yeah. So this guy phones wanting to have this challenge match, and he specifically asked, for Carlos. Hmm. So whoever it was knew Carlos was in the country at the time. And I said, look, I said, man, you know, this is 2010, 2011, something like that. I said, uh, to be honest with you, I thought we passed this <laughs> <The stage>. era. <laughs> we passed this stage, right? Yeah. But if you really want, Carlos is right next to me. I said, bring two and a half grand and we'll make it happen. <laughs> If you really want, bring two and a half grand and we'll make it happen. So the guy on the phone is like, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. Next thing you know, we agreed that he's going to turn up at XX date, puts the phone down. Five minutes later, I get a phone call from a good friend of mine, Professor Lucio Lagarto, mm. Lucio Rodriguez, who runs Gracie Baja Knightsbridge and uh, uh, Gracie Baja Fulham. 
And he's laughing his head off down the phone. And he's going, you mother hubbard, man. <laughs> I can't believe it. You're the only guys that accepted in the UK. <laughs> I phoned every school and everybody turned their back on me. He says, but you guys accepted. <laughs> so it was basically like I had to play in a trick on all of us. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But yeah, we did accept and we would have done it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, really, really. Yeah, you do get some odd characters though, don't you? Just uh... Oh man, I've seen it all. <laughs> well, I don't know if I've seen it all, but I, I'm learning, I'm learning. Yeah. I'm learning as we go along, for sure. Yeah, no, we, should, we should talk about Nino, Nino Skemri. Yeah. Because when I joined, he was better known back in 2010. But I mean, he's still really well known by people who know. He's just not in the news as much anymore. But he was a famous fighter in Pride and had that incredible match with Sakuraba. And everything and how did you end up you, you lived with him and trained with him for a long time didn't correct you? yeah so how this goes is um, first of all all of my connections came through professor carlos my professor carlos lemos mm. um, so what happened was that i ended up going to brazil no actually before that nino's brother comes to the uk mm -hmm. and teaches in carlos's school for several months and he's really good isn't he his brother as well incredible yeah so Nino's brother and I became really good friends. Pepe, his name is. Pepe is a black belt. He, he is an incredible jiu-jitsu practitioner, an incredible teacher, and quite frankly, a hell of a dark horse. Mm. Because Pepe basically just didn't like the feeling of competition. Mm. So you have two contrasts, two brothers completely different. One who was one of the most extravagant jiu-jitsu technicians of all time mm. who loved to compete. And the other who actually competed once at Blue Belt did not like the feeling that it gave to him, so decided to never compete again. Mm. Do not mistake that for anything, guys, right? Because Pepe whooped me for years, <laughs> <laughs> right? Just so you know. And not only that, Man, we would go to, after I went to Brazil and lived in their house, Pepe would take me training several places, and we would go to Gracie Baja, and I would watch Pepe slice through a bunch of world champion black belts mm. on a daily basis. Incredible. But just didn't like the feeling of competition, yeah. you know? So the, the story of me ending up with those guys is that Pepe comes to the UK, I end up becoming good friends with Pepe, we end up training a lot. And Pepe's father was from Sicily. Now, I'm from Sicily. You guys know that. So it turns out that uh, his father was in a town called Siculiana, which is about 30 minutes from my town in Sicily. So we immediately had common grounds to speak upon, and, you know, we, we, we just took off from there. So when I first visited Brazil, Carlos was not there, so... Pepe receives me at the airport and takes me back to his house. So I, I now end up living in his house with his brother, with his mother. And it turns out to be a very particular time because it was a time where Nino decided to go back to jiu-jitsu competition after having been in pride fighting championships for so many years, after having been the coach of Vandele Silva, Shogun Rua, Chris Cyborg, uh, Man, many, many others, Murillo Ninja. 
even Anderson Silva, Pele Landi, a load of these dudes which are historical names of MMA. Mm. Nino was their jiu-jitsu coach. Mm. So now I'm living this, in this apartment in Rio, Baja de Tijuca, beautiful place. Man, I'm sharing this apartment with legends of the sport. <laughs> Shogun Rua is there, Murillo Ninja is there, Luis Azaredo is there, Vandalay comes to visit in and out. Uh, Nino is, is there every day. And it was just the most surreal wow. uh, experience of my life. Yeah. And you're training every day. Every day. Yeah. 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 Man, I, these guys are like, you know, you can imagine. Yeah. I, I almost got no chance of, against any of these guys <laughs> at that time. And uh, I'm training with them every single day of the week. And yeah, it was just an incredible experience. What an opportunity. I mean, like to. Like just improve your jiu-jitsu, that must be amazing. That, that sort of quality of people around. It, it was just unbelievable. It's things that don't happen. These things just don't happen. Yeah, how's that going to happen these days? You it's know, like... these things just don't happen. <laughs> and at, at that time, these were guys that you only ever saw in Pride if you were an MMA fan. Mm. Or you, ever, you only ever saw them in a magazine which you specifically ordered because mm. they weren't on the shelves yeah, yeah you specifically ordered the magazine and you would see them in that magazine so you know it was a surreal time for me you know but a great time of learning you know i i learned so much from pepe and nino nino with his whole omoplata uh, system yeah because the omoplata was a sort of unheard of thing i mean i think it existed but it was it was nino that um sort of brought it to the public's Yeah, I'm, I agree, I agree. Look, Nino was, uh, was always ahead of his time, you know. There are really uh, bad quality YouTube videos mm. of Nino doing X-Guard in 1995. Yeah. You know, things like that. So Nino's always been ahead of his time. Mm. And to, so much to the point that, you know, I was speaking to Master Carlos uh, some time ago about Nino, and he, he just said to me, look, Sal, only Nino does what Nino does. Because Nino is a black belt under Master Carlos Gracie Jr. also. Mm. So, you know, he, he grew up in Gracie Baja. He's one of the legendary figures of Gracie Baja, of, of you know, history, so to speak. And uh, this is what uh, Master Carlos said. He says, only Nino does what Nino does. And he is responsible for the Goko Plata, for the Omo Plata, you know, for many of those positions there. And, uh, man, watching Nino, training with Nino, watching Nino train, watching Nino compete. Because I also had the, the honor of competing in the same tournaments mm. as Nino in, in Vegas. So you got to watch him compete, yeah. We were there together. It was, it was un, un, unbelievable, incredible. Uh, that was much later on, you know, after mm. Brazil. Mm. Uh, at that point, I think I was already a black belt. Uh, I went back to America and I stayed uh, in the area, trained with Nino again for about six weeks, six, seven weeks. And we went out, we got sponsored by On The Mat, hmm. and we went out to compete at the very first UFC Fan Expo. Right. The Grappler's Quest, UFC Fan Expo. And it was an amazing experience, amazing. Again, you know, we drove from LA to Vegas together. Just incredible times, hmm. you know. Because you, you were quite known for your omoplata back in the day, weren't you, as well? Yeah, yeah, but the, you know what? I was known for that omoplata because I picked it all up from Nino and Carlos. Because Carlos mm. is actually really good at omoplata, too. Well, he's good at anything, isn't he? Yeah, he is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest. But the, the thing that I have to say is that 
Carlos was also a fan of Nino. Right, yeah. And if you look back in many of Carlos's uh, early jiu-jitsu matches, he has the sideburns. Right, yeah. Yeah, he does. He does, yeah. Yeah, I think in the pictures. <laughs> he has I, the sideburns. I see the pictures there where he's, uh, and he's celebrating the win. Right, like exactly. He has the sideburns and then he puts up the... The Nino hand. The Nino hand. The Nino hand. Because Nino that. was obsessed with Elvis Presley, wasn't he? Oh, he still is. He still is. Yeah. He still is. His whole his, his academy in I think is it in San Diego? Or it's no, it's in uh, it's in Rondondo Beach. Right. It's got a it's got him as in an Elvis pose. There's Helio Gracie and there's Elvis <laughs> <laughs> next to each other. The two gods of yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. So Carlos uh, was was is a fan of Nino's as much as I have always been. Mm. And, you know, Carlos had a, the most amazing relationship with Nino's father. Right. So Nino's father was like a father figure to Carlos too. Oh, okay. So, you know, the, the, the whole thing is very closely linked. Mm. My relationship with Nino and my relationship with Carlos is all very closely linked together. But it's linked outside of Jiu-Jitsu as well as it is inside of Jiu-Jitsu, if you know what I mean. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I picked up this I have very, many similarities to Nino physically, right? Yeah, same, We're same sort of shape. Same sort of shape, mm. same sort of height. I'm fairly flexible. Nino is extremely flexible. Yeah, when you say you're fair, you can do the splits. I've, I can, I've, I've yeah. seen you do the splits. Sure. But I've also seen Nino puts his exactly. feet behind his head, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, and yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, I'm fairly flexible. Nino is extremely flexible. So a lot of Nino's game made sense for me at that time. Mm. And that's where I ended up picking up a lot of his omoplatas and so forth. But I remember teaching seminars to people who at Purple Belt had never seen an omoplata. Yeah, I mean, that's what people don't realize these days is that I remember a time when people would turn up and they'd kind of go, I've never seen an omoplata before. This is a... and I think that that's just, it's such a standard part of jiu-jitsu these days. Yeah, I mean, do you remember, we used to have people come in from abroad to stay with us in Bath. Yes. To specifically learn the omoplata from myself. Mm. I mean, this is back in, you know, we're talking about 10 years ago, yeah. more. Because it didn't exist where they it came from. It didn't exist, <laughs> that's right, that's right. You know, and I, I remember one guy saw something of me somewhere competing and gets in contact for, with me through, am I going to say this right? Is it Skype? Mm. Skype is what it was. Wow. Who uses Skype anymore? <laughs> but he gets well, it's still in, going. Yeah, yeah, it's still there. <laughs> but anyway, he, he gets in contact with me and comes from Florence to the UK, has a private lesson every day, trains in the school, and is completely blown away by whatever we're doing. And then goes back to Florence. I didn't realize, you know, he came from quite a wealthy family. Mm. And then basically flew me over to Florence to spend a weekend with him. Got me the most amazing apartment in the middle of Florence. Uh, all expensive, paid, paid super, super well. To just teach him jujitsu over the weekend and roll. <laughs> and you know, for me, that was a dream come true. That was everything that we'd ever worked towards. Yeah. You know, way before uh, jujitsu was popular, way before, you know, Gracie Baha became this machine, this multinational machine that it is today. Mm. You know, it's changed a lot over the years, hasn't it, Gracie Baha? 
For sure, for sure, without a doubt. I mean, you know, Gracie Baja has given uh, many people many opportunities. It does, yeah. That's it. It, it, it creates the structure around which people can have careers. Yes. Know, which, yes. Which is, which is um, if you th imagine what martial arts used to be like. Yeah. The idea that you can have a career in martial arts um, without being one of the 0.001% yeah. that are that are super famous. Well, Graham, I think we're of that age that, that we don't need to imagine what martial arts used to be like. <laughs> I think we lived yeah, what we martial arts used yeah. to be like, you know, and uh, where we lived what martial arts used to be like. Personally, I, I'd like to take credit for assisting in the evolution of martial arts in several areas of the world, you know, mm. uh, UK and Italy too. And other countries that I've been to teach many, many seminars to. You know, I've been blessed to teach so many seminars every single year all over the world. Um, so, but particularly in, the, in this area of the UK, you know, when I started here... The Southwest. There was nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. There was Hodger in, in London. Yeah, that was it, wasn't it? That was it. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, being part of that and uh, assisting that. And now there's schools all over the place. And now so many families actually live off of what I helped create. Exactly, yeah. You know? Yeah, you've, you've started the, um, started the, from one school came so many other schools. And, yeah. and people whose entire livelihoods are now, you know, generated by, mm. by, by. Well, every Gracie Baja school in the Southwest UK, whether they admit to it or not, like it or not, is linked to me. Mm. Somehow, somewhere. It's all linked to me. Now, it's a good thing because we've been able to raise the awareness of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to thousands of people across the area. And, uh, you know, we know what Jiu-Jitsu can be to so many. You know, it's not just a sport. In fact, I never looked at jiu-jitsu as a sport. No, it's not. It's not any one thing, is it? It's, it's a curious mix of... <laughs> it's a martial art which has the ability to serve a human as almost a therapist. Hmm. Right? And this is a really complex... Uh, this is a really complex way of putting this because unless you train jiu-jitsu, I don't think you're going to understand. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu has a very, very interesting way of getting deep into your being and bringing that out. You know, very often, I've been in jiu-jitsu a long time now, very often, I can almost get an idea, a good idea, of what that person's personality is like by watching him roll. Mm. And that's something very special, I think, about Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu is uh, something that really goes deep, really goes deep. You can tell somebody's aggressions, you can tell somebody's frustrations, you can tell somebody's uh, where his ego is at, where, is it in check, is it not? You know, and the, the good thing about jiu-jitsu is that it humbles us all. Mm. There is nobody bigger than the game.
there is nobody bigger than the mat. You know, mm. at some point, everybody taps. And if you're not, you're in the wrong place. But at some point, <laughs> everybody taps, without a doubt. And having said you're in the wrong place, I mean, I think there's, there's different ways that we can put that. When I say you're in the wrong place, it's not necessarily you're in the wrong place, um, whereas you need to move on. No. It just means that you need to create more challenges for yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's what it really Stop means. Stop taking the safe routes all the time. Yeah, create yeah. more challenges for yourself. So, of course, over the years, you know, uh, I, I got to the point where, I mean, I don't train half as much as I used to, but I still train. Now, there was a time where I could go through my whole school in one sit sitting. Hmm. Well, that time is no longer, you know, a reality anymore. Hmm. We have so many amazing black belts here. And not only do we have so many amazing black belts, these guys are, uh, are really good at what they're doing. Everybody, you know, we have guys who, who are second degree black belts about to receive their third degree. You know, that means that you've already been a black belt 10 years. Yeah, yeah. You it's know? a long time. Right. <laughs> so... It's a richness and a depth, a, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's a depth in jiu-jitsu, exactly that. So these guys, you know, they, they'll, they'll learn how to take advantage of any little situation on the mat. Now, if I am, or you are, or somebody is, still very, very dominant in how they are able to roll, man, it means that you're not challenging yourself correctly. Work on your weaknesses. You might be physically stronger than me, and might be able to overcome me on certain things. But there are certain things and certain positions that you are going to have weaknesses in, and those are the ones that we're going to need to work in. Mm. I had an MMA fighter, which is still my student today, one of my black belts, who had a tremendous top position. Still has a tremendous top position, still had, has tremendous leg locks, still is a tremendous uh, force on the mat. Mm. Professor Mario, Mario Said. Mm. Now, I made Professor Mario work off his back for two years. He couldn't understand why at the time. You know, but it was simply because of the fact he was very good on top. But what happened if you get on your back? Mm. Is that going to be, are you going to feel like a fish out of water? You know, you're so used to being on top. And that was something that I, I shared commonly with him. You know, because um, when I started jujitsu. I had wrestled for quite a long time. Mm. So being on top was something that actually came quite natural, but was something I was quite good at. But then I, I developed uh, a little bit of paranoia within myself, thinking, mm. damn, what if I end up on my back? <laughs> you know? And it was actually Professor Nino who guided me into saying at the time, start every roll off your back. And if you end up on top, continue. If not, keep working off your back. Yeah, I still try and do that as yeah, well. Yeah, me too. I remember you saying, "Me too." Start to off your back, and I was. But then again, if if they sit down, you can't both sit down. So one of you has to. Yeah. Get up. But, yeah. but I, at least I, I I make an effort to always start from. For back, sure. You know? For sure. I think these days for me it depends on how big the person I'm rolling with is. That's an issue too. Yeah. You know. Yeah, especially as you get older and you think, you know, there's a hundred kilogram guy. In, in prime physical right, condition right, right. <laughs> yeah. do I want to just let him get on top or, yeah. do, or do I want to kind of make him work for it you know 
But I think there's something to be said for experience, Professor. Mm. You know, uh, experience of jujitsu allows us to overcome those barriers in many occasions. It's, a, it's an incredible equalizer, isn't it? Jujitsu. That's the thing about it, is that um, you know, sometimes when I'm, I'm I'm standing next to the people I've just been rolling with, I suddenly I'm, I suddenly realize how big they are. Right. Because when you're on the mat. It, it all equalizes it out, all doesn't equalizes. it? It really um, does. And I stand up next to them and think, oh my God, I don't realize how tall you yeah. are, how big you are. Yeah. You know? Some of these guys are so strong. I mean, you know, Brad. Yeah. Bradley Light. He must be one of the most explosive people yeah. I've ever met, ever. Yeah, I know. I just watch people try to hold him down. And they, they get on top, and he just goes, Right, he and they sort of fly in the air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the most explosive people I've ever met, and a lovely guy. And, and I think you know, he's he's a lovely guy as well. Yeah, yeah. I like Brad yeah. a lot. I think jujitsu is a, is a huge servant to him. You know, huge yeah. servant to him in in terms of harnessing some of that energy, harnessing some of that explosiveness. And only using that at the right time, because the curse of a, of the explosive athlete is endurance. Mm, you know, exactly. you, you trade that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so trying to balance that out, trying to keep that explosiveness under control and only use it at the right time, I think is huge. Mm. Yeah. It's all the sort of wisdom you get from jujitsu, isn't it? You know. <laughs> well, and it's and it's, it's what's good about it. The wisdom you get from jujitsu is it's real. Like, you know, you're, you're doing it in a, a reality-based situation. Tried and tested. It's tried and tested. Tried and, you, and, and you have confidence in it that yeah. what, what, you've, what you've just discovered yeah. is real because yeah. you've just actually done it, you know, on someone who was trying their hardest. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I've been a black belt a long time. And um, if I look at myself when I first got my black belt, yeah, I was younger. I was, uh, I was still a competitor. Mm. I was younger, I was still a competitor, and I, was, I wasn't a bad competitor either, you know, I did my bits. Um, but if I look at myself today, I think that the guy back then knows nothing in comparison to me today. Mm. If you understand where I'm coming from. It's always a way, isn't it? You know, yeah. we're talking we're 13, 14 years ago almost that I got my black belt. Yeah. And uh, me of today, so is much. the teacher of that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's uh, a reality of things, you know? So getting your black belt is the beginning of the journey. Mm. You've only just learned how to learn. Now comes the real stuff. This is the one thing that I was told uh, when I first got my black belt. And, you know, it's hard to, to think like that. It's hard to imagine that, that... Uh, the day you get your black belt, you think, wow, now I'm a black belt. But actually, it's almost like the beginning. Yeah. You know? Start of a new chapter, isn't it? Start, complete start of a new chapter. Mm. Now you can jump on the mats, us especially as, a, you know, more mature athletes. If you put your name down in a competition and you're 35, 40 years old, and the guy standing opposite you could have been a black belt for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> what are you going to do that he hasn't seen? You know, that, that is the question. What are you going to do that that person hasn't seen? Mm. So, uh, this is why the mats are infinite. Jiu-jitsu is infinite. 
and we learn so much. And black belt for sure is not the end. Black belt is the beginning. You know, so for all you new black belts out there, man, put your heart, head down and work hard. This is the beginning. <laughs> You've only just scratched the surface. And, I, you know, I feel like this too. Even at my stage of, of jiu-jitsu, my stage of life, I feel like this is the beginning for me too. You know, I come to the mats every day with wipeout eyes. I want to see, I want to learn, I want to experience whatever that the different people are doing to me. Hmm. You know, whatever they're doing, I want to see it. And it doesn't have to be a higher belt. I can learn from anybody. You know, everybody's experience is different. Brilliant. That's a great point to end on, I think. Fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing your knowledge. It's been a pleasure. Professor Salvatore. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. So, guys, uh, just so you know, uh, Gracie Baja West Wilts in Westbury, Wiltshire. This is a brand new premium school. Tons of space, uh, showers, changing rooms. Everything you need is right there. Six black belts teaching every day of the week. Children's classes, adults classes, Muay Thai, MMA. That is a reality. Go check that school out. Uh, if you want to email us, we're at graciebahawestwilts at mail.com or just simply check out the website. Gracie Bath, as you know, is the Southwest uh, UK HQ. So come and visit us anytime. Gracie Bath Gillingham is another one I'm involved in. So if you're in that area, come and visit us there. And we are in the process of opening Gracie Bath Radstock and a brand new school in Bath, a secondary school in Bath. Oh, exciting. Oh, yes. This is half the press. This is it, man. <laughs> a load of things are happening. So stay tuned, stay with us, and I can't wait to see you all soon. Great. Cool. Thank you very much, sir. Pleasure. That was awesome. I, hope I really enjoyed fun. that. Me too. Yeah. Me too. It's good hearing those old stories. Oh, man. I, there's so many of them. I know. There's so many of we, them. We could do it all again. We, we could do this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we could. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com. You can support us by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Tai Chi Notebook. Thanks for listening and I hope you'll tune in next time. Bye.